I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. This is episode 39 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Bryn Garen, and it is finally October. The month of Halloween has begun, and I couldn't be more pleased. It is time for crunchy leaves and grinning pumpkins and flavored coffee and bonfire dances and all things spooky. And if you're anything like me, it's time to rewatch a bunch of your favorite scary movies. I literally have a short list that I watch every year in the lead up to Halloween, and the season just isn't the same without it. I actually get to decorate a house and hand out candy this year for the first time in ever, so I'm very excited. Speaking of scary movies, I have a special surprise for all of my wonderful witches this month. This episode is actually a crossover. Oh yeah. I've partnered with my good buddy Murphy Lawless to create this special marathon-length treat for all of you, and there will be two versions of the episode available. You've found one here on Hex Positive, and you can find the other one over on Murphy's show, Queerdo Babes from the Horror Podorama. If you love horror movies, queerness, or any intersection of the two, please go follow their show. Murphy is a fantastic host, and their depth of knowledge on horror tropes and horror cinema history is truly incredible. Plus, they're just a delightful person, and I love introducing my listeners to delightful people. So we got together to chat about depictions of witchcraft in horror cinema. There's far too much to cover in one chat, so we focused on a few examples. The silent film Hexen from the 1920s, Eyes of Fire from the 1980s, that ubiquitous 90s cult classic The Craft, and recent release The Autopsy of Jane Doe. There will be spoilers for all of these movies in our discussion, so just be aware of that going in. But first, as always, a few quick announcements. Just in case you missed it, the weekend of September 29th to October 1st was the third annual Critical Thinking Witch Convention, which is a truly wonderful online gathering of witches who emphasize the importance of skeptical inquiry, belief in science, and common sense in their practices. I had the honor of being a panelist for several segments, including Witch Businesses and Community, Publication and Sharing Knowledge, and a live episode of the Stardust Sessions with my favorite horrible goose witch, Lozzie Stardust. The good news is, if you missed the gathering and you'd like to check out the panels, 
there are replay tickets available. You can go to criticalthinkingwitches.com for information and to get access to all the session recordings. And of course, we do hope you'll join us for future events. It's going to be a super busy month for witch markets, and your girl is going to be hopping. I'll be tabling at an event just about every weekend this month, so if you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, mark your calendar for the following events. Saturday, October 7th, I'll be at the Autumn Witch Market at Strange Ways on Dabney Road from noon to 5 p.m., Wear your best costume, witchy or otherwise, and participate in the costume contests while you snack and shop from dozens of local vendors. Saturday, October 21st, I've got a double feature. I'll be at the Halloween Market at Kindred Spirit Brewing in Goochland, Virginia from noon to 5.30. This event is doggo-friendly, so bring your goodest boys and girls in their finest Halloween gear for the costume contest there. Once that wraps up, I'll be zipping over to the Aleworks Tap Room on Ewell Road in Williamsburg for their nighttime witch market. The event runs from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m., and I'll be getting there probably around 7, depending on how fast my broom can go. Both events are going to be super fun, and while it's going to be a very long day, I'm looking forward to it. And, just to wrap things up, I'll be at the Samhain Witch Market at Diversity Thrift on Sherwood Avenue in Richmond on Sunday, October 29th from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. This is one of the biggest events of the witch market season, so we're hoping for a really big turnout. I'd like to encourage all my listeners to wear their face masks to these events if you plan on attending, for your safety and the safety of everyone in attendance, including me. COVID season is upon us, hooray! So let's bring back our fancy face coverings and stay safe while socializing. I want to thank the good people of Mystic Markets and River City Witch Markets for making all this possible. Those of us who depend on these markets for our living really appreciate all the effort you put into these events. We also appreciate the accommodations of the venues that host us. So thank you to Diversity Richmond, Strange Ways Brewing, Aleworks Brewing, and Kindred Spirit Brewing for giving these events a home. And of course, thank you to everyone who turns up for these markets. Community events require community participation to be a success. So thank all of you for coming out. Hopefully I'll see at least a few of you this month. It always makes my day. I will have all of the information in the show notes. And if you can't make it to the witch markets, make sure you stop by the Willow Wings Witch Shop at brienickaren.wordpress.com slash shop to pick up books or kits or powders, whatever you need. I will be putting up the bottle charms when I get a moment sometime this month, so you'll be able to order those soon as well. As always, use code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout for a special surprise with your order. So, now that that's out of the way, let's get into the spooky. 
So I have here with me in the virtual studio the extremely fabulous Murphy <laughs> Lawless, uh, who has graciously agreed to do a crossover episode with their equally wonderful podcast, <laughs> Weirdo Babes from the Horror Podorama. If you're not already subscribed and you enjoy horror and queerness and any intersection thereof, please do go find their show. Murph, darling, welcome. I am so glad we finally got around to this. I'm so glad you're here. Me too, my love. I am super excited. Uh, I have said this even before recording, but I wish they could see my face because even as blinding as it is, I'm just so pleased. I, I feel like a smug cat right now. <laughs> oh yes, we we are both doing the the happy smug cat faces. It's mm -hmm. It is, mm. it is a glorious, glorious day. Mm -hmm. So please do uh, tell the lovely people about yourself and your project. All right. Well, I guess I will actually try to talk myself up for once. So bear with me while I hem and haw my way as I drive these compliments into the fucking ground. Um, <laughs> so I have a podcast called Queerdo Babes from the Horror Podorama where I am trying to teach myself more about the genre that I am exceptionally ex obsessed with via, you know, my love of researching things and digging in and trying to learn more about film theory, theory and, you know, just sort of lots of intersections thereof and doing it with guests um, and just having a ball along the way and just seeing what comes of it. Uh, I occasionally do burlesque under the name Murphy Lawless, of course. Um, I've hosted burlesque shows, and with any luck, I will be doing some um, horror-related panels at a con in the near future here in Richmond, and hopefully, you know, a little more widespread one day, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but for now, I'm just excited to have this outlet for uh, this drive that I've had to learn more about movies, whether it's not just me Googling and making serial killer notes in my little gay notebook. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if you want to keep up with me, you can follow me on Instagram at Queerdo Babes Podorama, uh, or, you know, just follow the podcast at Queerdo Babes from the Horror Podorama. Yes, that name is uh, named after a um... <laughs> uh sorry i'm laughing too much it's named after the sorority babes at the slime ball bolorama uh and it's I it's a linnea it. quigley film so of course i had to get that in there so beautiful um you know <laughs> i wondered <laughs> oh yeah no it's 100 percent a play on that and uh leads to a game that i highly recommend which is um inserting queer verbiage into the titles of horror films um one of the other winners that uh, a friend of mine, Kiaroskiro, came up with was Nos Queeratu. Um, so that one was pretty great, yes. too. Uh, <laughs> but somewhere there's a huge list of the ones that we came up with, but it was a very fun game. <laughs> oh my goodness. I am here for it, and I want to play. <laughs> yes. Because, of yeah. course, my, my brain has just instantly gone to that, that wonderful, wonderful series, Dragula. Oh yes, oh yes. I I haven't partaken as much in the the drag series as of as of late, but my brain tends to shift gears um, as to like the style of media it wants to consume, and my brain is like, no, no, 
anthologies or films. Thank you. Good. And I'm like, all right, calm down. So at some point it'll shift gears and I will probably consume all of Dragula in one sitting. I mean, I did. <laughs> Solid. Yeah. But I, yeah. I love the visibility the Boulay brothers are bringing to queerness and horror and for their roles in, um, you know, the Queer for Fear series for the times they've guested on Joe Bob. And so mm -hmm. solid. <laughs> they they are just fabulous, fabulous human beings. And I'm, I'm mm -hmm. so, so glad that their work exists. And I'm so glad that, uh, that we now have greater access to them. It's not just on, uh, you know, it's, it's not just on like, oh, you have to have this extra cable package or, you know, this particular subscription yeah. to get it. It's no, it's, it's on a lot of stuff. And yes, it's on Shutter as a subscription service, but that one's pretty widespread. So, it's also not yeah. the worst price in the world, which is really nice because the mm. I've been able to discover a lot of things through Shutter and including um, a good couple of the ones that we're going to talk about today. Um, I first ended up watching through there. So. There you go. Shudder. Sponsor Murphy's show. <laughs> God, I should be so fucking lucky. <laughs> they will give you a really great platform. I, I hope to, to one day have wider spread listening. But, you know, uh, one of the things that I am trying to, to keep in mind and that I, I feel like I've been successful in, at least at the, the beginning, you know, um, that this is first and foremost a thing that I am doing for love and excitement of the genre and for wanting to talk about these things and to get to talk about them with people that are seeing themselves reflected in ways that we aren't hearing about. Um, and you know what? Even if we cover the same shit or if it gets silly, that's all fine. I'm just so stoked to have that space and to be like, you know what? I made this space. And we're going to do what the hell we want with it. <laughs> I so, love that. I, um, That's wonderful. <laughs> I appreciate that. And, uh, I guess yeah. I should say at least some of my, uh, you know, connection to um, the witchy world. Uh, oh, sure. Know, if, yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, Please do. I'm not... I swear I didn't just like kick my way into the podcast like, hey, witches are in horror movies. You want to talk about it on your podcast? Um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, don't know I, I, I think uh, I think we uh, we we sort of locked eyes across a dimly lit Facebook thread and <laughs> we're like, hey, you're hey. doing a podcast and I'm doing a podcast. What if we what if we together? <gasps> Yeah. Oh it's my! Some mic on mic action. <laughs> oh my goodness! In the future, it's not they were roommates. It was they were podcasters. <laughs> so spicy. I know. But yes, I know. Uh, you 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 do have connections to 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 witchy things. I do. Um, a lot of mine is. I mean, I guess it's mostly rooted in intention, which you know, most craft is, but, uh, I say that as opposed to like intention versus ritual, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. where a lot of what I feel connected with is that like 
the gathering of energy. Um, we're not talking about it today, but um, we can take things like Suspiria as, you know, an instance of this, um, where like, especially in the uh, 2018 version, there wasn't a lot of ritual scene. The ritual was the dancing. And that's very much kind of how it is for me. I do some things with cleansing and I like tarot work and I love making sigils and things like that. Things that are extensions of the body and that direct connection with energy. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm definitely a, you know... <laughs> kind of drifting like hey man heard you had a fire sweet you want to dance around it cool <laughs> cool you want to play some weird droning industrial stuff while we do that cooler you want to listen to <laughs> disco after sweet <laughs> Solid. Um, yeah um, <laughs> what what if we talk about the shit show that was Aleister Crowley and uh watch horror movies yeah you want to go on a date <laughs> oh my god god mm. <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time oh no i have a different good time to threaten you with because i've uh recently obtained a dvd of kenneth anger's work so it's a <laughs> that date. was an eyebrow wiggle it's ooh. <laughs> uh, yeah yes yes absolutely i will be there with bells on oh my god oh yeah we yes. we've we've already talked about like at least two other episodes that we want to do collectively and those may like at least one of those i think is going to have to be a visual recording because it's just going to be us oh, screaming about the conjuring films <laughs> yes oh uh, yeah i'm very excited to be here Lord. sorry 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 i worked on this i practiced this come see her breathing practicing i'm <laughs> dulcet tones calm chest movements flames <laughs> on the sides of my face flames heaving breaths <laughs> claw face hand yeah <laughs> I'm just gonna make eyes of fire faces at them <laughs> people couldn't see it but I pulled what is essentially like an unmakeuped black metal grim face um, that vaguely resembled a wide-eyed frog. Uh, <laughs> a gift for only Bray. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs> My pleasure. I think that's a great place to sing into the main thing. <laughs> Excuse me, I'm going to have another sip of water. Oh, I think I goodness. just took 1d4 psychic damage. That was too fucking funny. I'm so That's... sorry. <laughs> Don't be! It was great! <laughs> well, I'm sure that y'all have guessed that um, from some of the context clues and from our team-up, of course the first thing that we needed to talk about was some representation of witches in horror. And we could not narrow it down to just one film because... We kept getting excited for too many of them. And so we decided to start off by picking a couple that portrayed uh, witchcraft in different ways. And 
there may be part twos and threes of this. We may hyper focus on certain films in the future. And we also have talked about um, some things involving like the big three of folk horror and cussing and drinking about the conjuring films. Um, yes. um that one may have to be in a more visual medium though because i can't imagine that we will do that entirely sober Mm -hmm. um i refuse but this is watch this movie sober oh fair i mean (laughs) they have their have they they have their merits but god damn the fucking warrens um i mean as (laughs) as just a a, like an entertainment product Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is lovely. But right. the second I realize and remember that, oh, gosh, no, wait, these were real people yeah. that were actually exploited by these two actual charlatans. My yeah. brain just goes, where is the line? <laughs> I also, uh, this is this is the last diatribe, I swear, I swear. We, we've gotten derailed <laughs> on this, but we did not watch them. We do not have beers in our hand. And so this yeah. is... We'll save it for the drunk dive. Save it for next time, but it just... Sometimes there are certain levels of like uh, Christian porn horror that just it just like wears on me in a weird way where I'm like, cool. So yeah, God and stuff. I guess. Good job. Uh, you prayed about it. I'm sorry. I'm being yeah. derogatory. I shouldn't. Everybody no, is entitled. It's, it's, it's just fine. there's a certain style of horror that. <laughs> leans into entirely that and i think that we're missing some opportunities but that's not what we're here to talk about today um so i will say that i'm going to put uh, a note in the show notes of the films that we cover the major ones and if we hit on any big spoilers when we're relating another film to that i will try to mention those as well but check that just in case you are concerned about spoilers for the films included although unfortunately i think the inclusion of one of them does give you a little bit of a heads up of the direction but it's still worth a check out um and i think you'll know that as soon as we get to it but we are gonna go largely i i'm going to run like a sheepdog towards the you know the first the first uh recognizable one in our list which came out in 1922 and is the Swedish Danish co-production of Haxen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a very unique film, even for silent film era. Um, Criterion has a really lovely version of it out. I highly recommend um, picking that up for uh, the variation of releases that are included on it and for the articles although i do believe that you can watch hexen and full on youtube and that we will also link some cool articles that we found through the criterion website um for this because they are also worth reading if you are interested but it was one of the um early films of danish director benjamin christensen and it was produced through sweden uh and thus all of the intertitles and like subtitles and things are in Swedish with, you know, the English, of course, below that. Um, they're typically handled well, though, even in the, you know, there. let's face it, every silent film, there's at least one version where you're like, what the absolute fuck is happening with these subtitles? Like, I, who made these intertitles? I can't read this. 
I have no idea what's going going on. It's just blurs in a pantomime. <laughs> um, but uh, so this so true. this wasn't my first uh, rodeo with this one, but uh, so this was the first time that you watched uh, Hexen, right? Yes, um, I had I had uh, heard of the film a number of times before. Um, I had seen uh, clips from it from uh, various things that I had seen uh, to do oh, yeah. with the history of folk horror and also the history of uh, witchcraft and depictions thereof in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in cinema. There's, there's always something that comes out, you know, on, on travel or history every year around October, uh, what? That, you know, deals with witchy history and they invariably get half of it wrong. Um, and almost invariably uh, they will have <laughs> at least one clip from Hexen, uh, whether they, you know, refer to the movie itself or not. Uh, but it's, it's just so, uh, iconic and visually striking that it really makes for good fodder, uh, for these things. And it was, uh, it was quite an experience to actually sit down and watch the full, uh, the full film. And it is a long film for, that For era. silent era, yeah. It's Although, almost two hours. The I think it depends on the version you watch because um the one the one that I have the one that I think is typically available is um like an hour seventeen minutes or so. Although mm-hmm. I know that they occasionally show back to back with the um the portion that they redid from I think it was the fifties where they had William S. Burroughs um, doing a voiceover for part of it. Um, well, the, the version I was able to find on YouTube was like an hour and 45 or something. Okay. That makes sense. Know. And that is likely one of the better versions that doesn't have stuff chopped out of it. So Yes. Um, yeah, it, it was very smooth. Uh, everything was very readable. Uh, the images were very clear. Um, I was surprised. I was expecting it to be uh, kind of, you know, grainier. Mm-hmm. and kind of choppy like as they they were back then but i was like wow no this is this is really good this is like it it kind of read like um almost like a college course powerpoint in a way on the topic yeah uh, so it, it was it's structured as an essay film um in that yeah with the nature mm-hmm. of what they're discussing um strays into the horrific side of human nature and the fantastic of what was supposed that you know, went on at the Witches' Sabbath. I guess at this point, you know, is a, a good time for us to um, give a quick descriptor of the film. Um, just, uh, you know, you started to to describe it, and I apologize for interrupting you, as you were very apt in describing it like a college course, uh, to the point where we can see the pointer come out sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Haxen, or A History of Witchcraft, goes through... Um, some of the beliefs that were that were held um, uh, of what people thought, um, not the truth about witches, but what people thought, um, you know, the that they were interacting with. And then does a flashback to, um, you know, the supposition of what a coven might have been back in, I think they said it was like the 1400s for Something them. Something like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I love the depiction of the coven, like even as, as gruey as it was with the, uh, you know, them 
pulling the the thief's hand from the gallows to uh, to uh make more potent in their potions and um there's they show off all of these gorgeous wood cuttings these models of the solar system um there are these extensive uh sections where they have created what is almost a wall of puppetry and mechanisms um similar to what you might find on like i I hate to just to bring it to this but like sort of like uh those extensive clocks where you would find Mm -hmm. in like when the clock would strike and they would go back and forth in one position but it reminded me a lot of that but they were so detailed it was like seeing a a tiny puppet show of a Bosch painting. <laughs> yes. I was thinking the same when, when they did the, the little diorama of the, mm-hmm. the hellscape, I was like, Oh my gosh, this, this, it, this is Hieronymus Bosch. This yeah. is one of those paintings. Like my, my brain immediately went there. I'm like, wow. Even some of the, uh, the visuals they choose to show are like, they could have been cherry picked and I love Bosch. So I was like, ah, Hmm. Treat for me. I'm sorry, my uh thing uh cut out weirdly. I don't think that the audio will mess up, but the okay. my uh, forgive me if sometimes I'm like <laughs> it's okay. um the magic of editing. True. Um but yeah, they, they also they he one of the segments was a reenactment of, you know, the uh, how the witch trials went with with somebody accusing someone who is totally innocent because they are you know trying to find trying to find fault for something that they are devastated by and then how that snowballs and how even eventually the accuser is you know swept up in that madness and it is mm-hmm. highly uh highly critical of the clergy at that time and um, you, it also relates it back to the way that patients of mental illness are being treated in his time, um, mm-hmm. and the and he draws a lot of. Uh, I would say that he draws a lot of. My brain is not giving me the word. Thanks, brain. Uh, a, a lot of uh, parallels. Uh, parallel. Yes, thank you. Parallels between um, not only the clergy and the the psychiatric doctor who is willing to commit someone rather than help them. But um, he even seems to draw parallels between himself and some of the inquisitors and the way that cameras are used um, positioning himself in the same way, uh, both inside and outside of the, the dramatizations. So I found that, uh, really interesting and it's one of the things that um, I have noticed noted is that like it was received really well in places like Sweden and Denmark but places like Germany and France and the US objected to the gra- graphic representations of torture, nudity, sexual perversion and anti-clericism which of course are all things that I loved about it because it was all extremely frank mm-hmm. and um, you know for something that was made in 1922 um felt uh almost almost feminist which is always shocking for that time period i'm not mad about it but you know it's uh when you're like this is a a essay you know a horror essay on 
the witch trials you're like oh god here we go um mm-hmm. but yeah he he points out a lot about how um you know it, it, like he seems to be very intentional in his attempt to normalize like mental health struggles and also you know the fact that like people would be picked on no matter what they looked like if you were too ugly too weird too beautiful too young like any of those things could be uh could be used against you um but you know i think that the part of this if it's okay that i would love to focus on the most is of course them going to the witch's sabbath (laughs) yes (laughs) um that scene was absolutely bonkers um that's the one that i've seen uh referenced more than anything in uh, in other media and it's because it is just so insane just everything is completely off the wall and you can you can tell very much uh that his his main uh resource was the Malleus Maleficarum. Uh, it's, yeah. it's very much like a verbatim recreation of a lot of the things uh, described in that text insofar as, you know, this is what witchcraft practices look like. This mm-hmm. is what witchcraft entails. Uh, the, the, the flying and the, 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 the dealing with the devil and the creation of potions out of just the worst possible ingredients they could Ugh, think of. Yeah. Um, and yes, and just every sort of, of, of licentiousness and blasphemy uh, taking place at these, at these gatherings. Um, it, it was very interesting to me to see that depicted visually. I mean, I've, I've read I've read it so many times in the book and in various articles for, uh, for, for research that I've done. And of course, you know, you, you have mm-hmm. like the, the vague images in your head, but it, it's quite another to just see this depicted, like you said, very right. frankly. Um, and uh, in a, in a few scenes, like even by modern standards, a, a little bit graphically, um, yes. I can, especially I can see the why... eating of the baby. <laughs> that was i did not expect that and it kind of like made me like sit back a little and be like oh wow okay he, he did not yeah. spare the details hmm. your brain went and oh I, yeah pre-code <laughs> oh that's oh that's right pre-haze mm-hmm. code hmm. mm-hmm. but i can see why the the american censors were like um no and also <laughs> also the the german ones i mean germany was was basically like the heart of the witch panics Yes. Uh, in the day it's where the malleus comes from mm-hmm. and uh you know people like to talk about salem in the states and they like to talk about uh various witch trials in uh in england with uh with you know lancashire and north berwick of course that was in scotland um mm-hmm. none of it holds a candle to the madness that was happening in Germany. I mean, I've, I've yeah. spoken about it on, on an episode before where I traced the, uh, the history of the uh, relationship between witchcraft and the legal codes and just learning about uh, like the Bamberg trials and the Trier trials in Germany. It, it breaks your heart. Um, yeah. 
It is it, it was definitely so some bad. of the most intense. I mean, as, as bad as things were with like Matthew Hopkins and, and John Stern in England, it was 10 times worse in Germany for way longer. Yeah. Um, so it was just like, oof, yeah, that's right. This, this was, this was stuff that actually, uh, actually happened. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I can, I can understand, um, you know, of course this is, this is, they, they thought that these, these witches, these poor innocent people who were not witches by any standard that we would right. call them witches today, or even that they would have called them witches by, you know, standards back in the day. They were, they were innocent people caught up in very bad situations. Um, right. And, and I, yeah, sorry. It's, it's, it's fine. Um, I forgot where it's going with that. I'm so sorry. Okay. Um, uh, they, uh, they were innocent people caught up in, in very bad situations and accused of doing terrible things. And because people were afraid, it's like, oh, we have to root this out. Mm -hmm. so, and I do firmly believe that like some of it was that like there were some genuine psychopaths that took advantage of this. Um, oh, absolutely. Like, absolutely. Uh, you know, I can't imagine. And I do think that that is also important to point out about this film is that, um, Christensen is not saying that these are depictions of real witches. He's like, this is what people mm -hmm. thought and what people use and what they would try to extort out of people. Like all of these are depictions of what was imagined, but what, you know, I, what he was like was going on. He was like, I think this is all like, you know, at worst hysteria, you know, and, you know, at, at you know more commonly it's grudges and you know people looking different and acting different and you know the, the fallacy of the darkness of man uh, and i do give him a lot of points for um points like it's a scale um you know like <laughs> I, it was just something that i was very pleasantly surprised about for the the manner in which it was handled because again 1922 and he does get some stuff wrong but um i believe that uh on another episode of yours there is uh, a person mentioned that could be the cause of that one of his contemporaries who was doing some stuff in witchcraft and you're making a face because you want to say the name <laughs> i know you want to say, say it can i say it can i say, yes, it? say the name margaret fucking murray <laughs> yes Ah. Uh. <laughs> well, it's it's very true. I will say though, I will mm -hmm. say, uh, Hexen came out in what was it, nineteen twenty two, twenty three? Uh, twenty two. Yeah, that's when Thank it came you. out in Denmark and Sweden, and it didn't. I don't think it reached the states until like twenty nine. Right, and it was in production, uh, for about two and a half years, give or take, before that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Margaret Murray who is uh, best remembered today as one of the, uh, the major proponents of the thoroughly debunked uh, <laughs> witch cult hypothesis, had just published her first uh, and probably most famous work on the subject, The Witch Cult in Western Europe, in 1921. Oh, okay. Uh, so right around the time that this movie was in production, probably around when he was doing some of his research, uh, you know, even if it was not used as a resource, because like I said, uh, the, the, the subject matter uh, in the movie very clearly is heavily influenced by the Malleus, which is appropriate for right. what he was uh, trying to accomplish. Um, I find it very interesting 
that these two things are concurrent, that uh, the uh, the zeitgeist of the day, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. in two different places was so focused on witchcraft. And it was it was sort of as the uh, the the occult resurgence and spiritualism were starting to take that turn. Uh, mm-hmm. We were just barely starting to see uh, the first rumblings of the modern witchcraft movement as as it would become around mm-hmm. that time. Uh, my my podcast senpai Trey Dorn would know uh, the details better than I would. Uh, but I believe it was around this same time when Gerald Gardner, who, who founded what would later become Wicca, uh, was first meeting with the Bricketwood Coven and uh, all of that was being put in motion. And that would eventually lead to, you know, what we have today. Um, qu- quite a few uh, bumps and stumbles along the way. Oh, yeah. But, um, you know. But it is what it is, and they did what they did, and we have what we have, and we make it our own. Um, but I was just very interested to see that, oh, these these things happened at the same time. Hmm. Um, and but yes, I, as I, I said, uh, the, the movie much more focuses on witches as being uh, Satanists and, and devil worshippers, whereas right. uh, Murray's, Murray's whole uh, bent was... Uh, this this witch cult hypothesis, whereby the victims of witch trials were actually uh, adherents of this ancient underground pagan sect uh, mm-hmm. that had survived the Christianization of Europe and was now uh, the the remnants of it were being persecuted in these trials, and you know just kind of took the confessions. Uh, at face value and said, okay, well, well, let's work from the, uh, from the viewpoint that everything they said was true. Never mind that you cannot rely on anything confessed under torture or threat nope. thereof. And that's nope. all of the confessions that we have were obtained yes. under torture or threat thereof. Yes. Um, because the knowledge of what was happening, unless you were the very first person to confess, in which case you had no way of knowing what was coming everyone knew oh, what the then, penalties were even then like, and they would say oh they weren't tortured oh no they weren't tortured they were just kept awake for days and denied food and water and kept in tiny little cells where they were cold and hungry yeah. and surrounded by rats that counts yeah that counts the yeah. under duress yeah under duress no, the- exactly and also knowing uh that something horrible is probably going to happen to them either way mm-hmm. that is mental torture that still counts and also mm-hmm. uh, counting the uh, the mindset of the day, which was in most of Europe very Christian, and for mm-hmm. the purposes of these trials, extremely Christian, and yes. focused a great deal on the concept of guilt and the concept of yes. sin. So even if these people had done absolutely nothing, and they knew for sure, I've never been to any sabbath i've never mm-hmm. seen you know i've never seen goody proctor with the devil <laughs> you well, know that, i've never that done gets any brought of this up in haxen where they were like okay but your uh-huh. body was there but your spirit went exactly. to the sabbath mm-hmm. and so there was there thinking, was no but way i out. had this weird dream maybe did i yeah. sin in my thoughts you know did i yeah. did i do this by accident and maybe i just Have don't I even remember that i was there mm-hmm. and they doubt themselves and they start feeling guilty for anything they've ever done 
And so they end up confessing to things that they've never, ever done and Mm -hmm. that are physically impossible. Uh, Right. So there's that. Um, (laughs) This, all of this, like you guys went into such amazing detail on the episode. Like, I can't remember what the number is, but I know that if you look under hex positive and you look for Margaret fucking Murray, you will find the episode. (laughs) Um, That was one of the things where I was like, and listen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's episode 36. It is, it came out July 1st, 2023 for those listening in the future. Cool. So fairly recent, um, which is nice because that means that it's extra fresh. Um, and yes, we are spending a lot of time on, on Hexen, but I think that a lot of what we are discussing here also informs the way that we will be looking at a lot of the other films. Um, because Hexen um, sh- showcases a few things that I'm I'm very interested in. And, and that is that like a lot of times when you see depictions of like witchcraft in film it is positioned um in some way um either whether it is in opposition to or in juxtaposition with christianity whether it is being directly referred to as black magic or devil worship or you know like devil witchery um or if you know they're saying oh no it's not like this because it is x y and z there are very few things films where it is just that this is the way that this, um, you know, deities or magic or spiritualism work without um, using like the existence of Christianity as some sort of sounding board. And so like, it is, it, it's very interesting to me that um, like the, just that, that existence in opposition to where uh, so often, even, even in, depictions that are what we now know as like paganism or herbalism or wicca you know so much gets pegged along those lines even though it is it is not and if you were really a devil worshiper you're just kind of another sect of christianity but that's a whole other podcast um i made a song out of it so that it wouldn't be taken too seriously by people ha 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 um but um Sorry. One of the other things that I love about Hexen is that um, it's like it's real grungy. Um, and I, I made a note for myself and, and forgive me for reading. But like um, I do. Um, so one thing that I, I had want wanted to say is that like the conjoining of Satanism, black magic and witchcraft um, are often referenced together in the manner of their depictions alone. Um, there's not actually any correlation between the practice except for uh, practices except for what the individual designates um and so when we are discussing these films you may hear some of these words used um in reference to the film and the way that things are described in the films and i don't want that to get um muddled with what we are saying um like actual practices are we are just you know, this is purely a film discussion, but like one of the things that I noticed um, is that apart from Hexen and maybe like a handful of other films, magic and workings thereof are either depicted as something ethereal and intangible or only utilizing some more acceptable things like herbs, bones, stones, and the bodily fluids that are included are something like if they're meant to show something is really serious, they'll include like spit or blood. But Hexen 
uses things that are like considered that are transgressive even by those standards so when we look into you know those theories of objection where they are using um urine they're using fecal matter they're using like like corpse parts not just bones but um you know things like that they're you know we're talking about like sexual fluids they don't necessarily bring that up as much but you know that that is a thing um and so I appreciate that as much as their depictions of witchcraft are based off of, you know, the writings of the Malleus Maleficarum and all of those things that were confined in the trials. I love the depictions that are gross. I yes. like gross witchcraft. Um, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily do it all myself, but like things like the love, Witch actually is a more recent film that has her putting like, a tampon in a jar with like urine and some other things and that's one of the few depictions that has that mm -hmm. so i just i love that we can draw the that we can draw those correlations between like you know those bodily ties and the way that you know practices may have happened or that people choose to practice um mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's for everyone um or you know what have you but um, sure. You know. And I mean, a lot of that does show up in modern craft. I mean, mm -hmm. modern witchcraft uh, is very grungy, uh, you know, depending on on what you choose to do with your craft. Like you said, it, it right. very much uh, relies on the uh, relies and depends rather on the the individual, um, what your craft looks like and to a certain extent, um, what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, I tend to find that the, uh, the the meaner and more subversive something is generally <laughs> uh, the grosser and nastier uh, and sometimes pointier uh, the <laughs> items are which are used to accomplish that and it's uh, it's interesting I've noticed there's a parallel uh, with that in cinema um, yes when witchcraft is depicted uh, that is there's meant to be something positive when it's meant to be something uh something helpful and you know beneficent and, and kind it's you know it's these images of flowers and candles mm -hmm. and you know a, a, a simmering pot and you know lights in the air and sparkles and, and what have you it's all it's autumn all vibes of, it's all very autumn vibes it's a little bit cottage core a little bit mm -hmm. like spooky ooky um, but it's, it's generally just very sort of, oh, there's still like a pleasant cast to this, you know, mm -hmm. yes, it might be a little bit just sort of like, oosh, I could, I could never, but you know, I can understand, uh, you know, why this witch is because, you know, she's, yeah. she is serious. It's uh, the representation it, of the good queer. Exactly. It's the safe and queer. Anytime, it's the safe witch. Exactly. Mm -hmm. oh parallels i love it um <laughs> and then anytime something you know transgressive is done anytime something you know wicked or evil or nasty mm -hmm. is done the ingredients and the scenery and the working and the actions involved in it reflect that in the film so you know the nastier their the spell is that they're trying to work you know the grosser that the scene is is more likely to be i mean we we look at the parallels between um uh, 
I can think of two spellcasting scenes that uh, that sort of illustrate this. Mm. Uh, the the opening scene in Practical Magic, where the mm-hmm. aunts are in the kitchen helping this woman with a love spell, which is very ill advised on her part. Uh, yeah, but they they have this this beautiful book, and they're you know wearing these these beautiful house coats, and the whole place is decorated with you know bunches of dried herbs. And yes, there is the off-screen stabbing of a bird, uh, but it's still just portrayed as just like, oh, it's it's very mystical and parts of it are very pretty and, mm-hmm. you know, it's still just sort of very clean. Uh, but then you see, like, the, uh, the witch's cave scene in one of my other favorites, Sleepy Hollow. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the witch sits down to tell Ichabod of the headless horseman, and you know it's it's all portrayed in very stark scenes with a palette of red, gray, silver, and black, which I love. And you know she throws herbs in a pot and decapitates a bat, and you know there there's blood in things and there's manacles, and of course the the beautiful visual when her veil comes off and. You know, there's there's the ickiness underneath, but it's mm-hmm. it's just there's there's this there's the good safe witch who you you come mm-hmm. to the back door when you need something, and then there's the evil creepy witch who lives in the woods and works, you know, spooky ooky baneful spells that right. you know are probably not so nice. That you don't know the nature of, but gosh, yes. it can't possibly be good. It can't actually be anything good. I think this is a really good place to jump into the next film on our list, which is one that um, is a little lesser seen. Um, It wasn't as readily available until more recently, thanks to Severin, where they put this out. It was included in their folk horror documentary, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, made by the brilliant Kirla Janice. And then was included in All the Haunts BRs, um, which was their full core box set. Um, I think it's also available individually, um, but I highly recommend seeking it out. And this is 1983's Eyes of Fire, directed by Avery Crowns. Um, There is another version called Crying Blue Sky that I think is available um, on those DVDs um, that is uh, discussed as being less horror and more um a meditation on the costs of colonialism to both the victims and the perpetrators as this is a folk horror film that takes place in um basically frontier albany in uh 1750 so it's right during like the french and indian war and all of that is like that landscape is very much utilized within this film. Um, Mm -hmm. The quick setup is that there is this like smarmy lecherous preacher who rolled into this village and, um, you know, was supposed to be there to teach and to preach. And as instead um, the, one of the women has started hooking up with him. Her husband is a trapper. He's been gone a lot. She's lonely. She doesn't know if he's still alive. So she's like, you know what? I'm getting some. I respect that for her, but really, that guy kind of looks like Malachi, um, not Malachi Isaac, um, yeah, from Children of the Corn. Um, just like not my personal whole, taste. His his so. whole job in that movie was to complain, to proselytize, to dismiss, and to lounge insouciantly. 
Oh yeah, that no, was he. Um... <laughs> that was his whole job. Yeah, no, he uh, he did that that job very well. But um, I mean, <laughs> his companion, um, who I've seen reviews discuss her as like a sexual companion. I don't think she is. I think no. she's more like a like a a ward. Um, but her name is Leah. She is she is our first source of magic. Um, she is discussed like they'll discuss her like she doesn't know what's going on, like she's insane or she's not all there. But she mm-hmm. is um she is just otherworldly um and she she is made to look that way as well she's got this beautiful wild red hair um and you know speaks in whatever language she feels like um if she feels like speaking and not just making sounds um and they are essentially run out of town um they there are a couple other folks that choose to leave with them they are attacked on their way to finding the quote-unquote promised land and while they are fleeing, this idiot preacher leads them into um, a valley that uh, is is some something marked by the Shawnee as a place that they don't go. Um, and the trapper, uh, who eventually catches up with them, says, "Okay, well, this is an okay spot to stay for a minute because they'll leave us alone. But we got to get the fuck out of here." Um, they don't listen because the preacher decides he knows best things go badly because things are happening in the valley um and i guess that's my my summary of this film um but it is you know part western folk horror uh frontier folk horror um part witchcraft it is very um nature-based in the way that Mm -hmm. everything is portrayed and driven and i love how utterly ineffectual the preacher and anything he says or does is um how wrong he is shown to be like the only one that the only two i should say because i I should give mary and the trapper some uh some credit the only two people that seem to know what the hell is going on or what they should be doing are leah um and uh and marion uh so you know i uh i really fell in love with this film and so i really wanted to to share it with you and see how you felt about it um before we start um digging into uh the the things about the valley and that are depicted therein my one quick factoid that i wanted to share that i learned today that i had a what moment on was that Rob Paulson is the one who plays Jewel Buchanan. Yeah, You're that kidding. Rob Paulson of Pinky and the Brain, uh the and and Yakko. Yeah. This was an early role for young Rob Paulson. I thought they were shitting me and I looked it up and I was like, "Oh, okay. Well, mind blown." There's that. Wow. Um, be- <laughs> he's adorable. Yeah, he's a sweet he's little a baby. Pie. Yeah. Oh, very very young role for him um oh my gosh yeah but yeah there's a there's a discussion of the valley and they and again i've seen like reviews and people talk about it and they're like oh it's a native burial ground and again i disagree with that that's not how they discussed it they discussed it as a place where like that negative and dark energy pools like yes. it is it's and it's discussed as like being like the devil's valley, but that's the language that these colonialists have um, because they relate 
everything to their religion and they're traveling with a preacher. Um, so while the people that like Leah never calls it devil, Leah never calls it anything. Um, Leah, however, realizes that she needs to get more powerful to combat this well of essentially bloodshed energy as we are in the heart of the battleground of war and so in one scene she is she just takes handfuls of dirt and begins to eat it like literally taking this land into herself and you know they're like the creatures depicted therein are all covered in mud and are lost in the trees with their faces pushing out which should i one day have a house and not a tiny apartment oh yeah i'm gonna make a whole bunch of creepy ass faces for those um but it's it's i love that that discussion like that visual discussion of eating dirt as a way of like becoming with the one with the land and i i was also looking up some some stuff about um like frog symbolism which we can talk about in a minute but um you know i what are what was so this was this was also your first viewing of eyes of fire right this was the other one that you hadn't seen yet Mm -hmm. yes so how did you Um, feel about eyes of fire (laughs) i i thought that uh you know it started out fairly cohesive Mm -hmm. um and then just sort of the back half of it was equal parts film and fever dream but that really sort of fit with the narrative and like yeah, as things are kind of falling apart in the story, the film itself feels like it's unraveling. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, I think some of it, it could be editing. Uh, just, I feel like some important things may have been left on the, on the cutting room floor. For instance, mm-hmm. in one scene, we come in in the literal middle of a conversation and it's like, wait, what context please? Huh? But yeah. It, it lends itself just to sort of this, very uh this this very gloomy and very uh confused and half desperate feeling that uh the uh the the traveling folks are are clearly experiencing um i also thought it was interesting uh visually uh the the difference between leah and the other people in this sort of uh, mini uh, mini group um, mm. where everyone else is trying to sort of hang on to the trappings of civilization and they retain their uh, their clothes and they try to kind of keep clean and you know they, they stay within the little uh, the little uh, sort of group of cabins they find and the mm-hmm. fence they build around it and they, they sort of try to maintain. Uh, a semblance of the life that they have come from out here in, in literally the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, Leah, I don't think she wears shoes at any point in the film. I don't think and so either. She's basically running around in her shift. Yeah. And more often than not, she's covered in dirt. She has mm-hmm. feathers or twigs or leaves in her hair she's literally becoming one with this land while everyone else is trying their utmost to stay apart from it. And right. I just thought the, the visual of that was, was very striking. 
And as she uh, sort of connects more and more with the land and with this power she has within herself, which she has from the very beginning of the film. Oh yeah. um, No, she is, she is definitely shown as the reason that Will Smythe is not dead. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Until she finds out that he's the one that actually killed her mother. Um, And then it's on. (laughs) Yep. Um, she, uh, she starts sort of just shedding layers yeah. figuratively and literally we start to see her just pop naked out of a, a pool of water, uh, mm-hmm. by the end and of, laughing <laughs> and laughing. And by the end of the movie, she is running around with no clothes on, uh, obligatory eighties boobs. Um, right. But I, I appreciate like, she's not sexualized at all. Like, no, it's not sexualized her... ever. It's she's, she's just is, she just is. Right. No, um, she she is very clearly existing as she would naturally. Like she is Yes. And she is othered in the way that she is what's natural here. Yes. And mm-hmm. I found that to be a really interesting depiction. Like, you know, she she is an outsider, but she was an she was an outsider no matter where she goes, and she is of that otherness so much so that she actually understands and can feel what is happening in this valley she doesn't have to turn and connect and confront the horror of you know faces in the trees or these things to know intimately you know what's going on here and i uh, one of the differences between the two cuts of the film um is they had taken out some of like the flashes of like the flashes of leah seeing um like the the other french settlers that had been taken already um and like her seeing some of the things that had happened so it had cut out like her magical journey and he didn't like that so he left that in but she she is able to see and feel innately all of these things and she you know she goes and gets marion because she's like you're another person of the land you're mm-hmm. a hunter, you're a trapper, we function differently, but you also have to listen to the land. And you have to interact with it differently than any of these other people have ever had to do. Um, and you're I think the only that that's one why who might understand. Them... Yeah. Yeah. And that's why she, she goes to save him at the end. Um, and why mm-hmm. she's like, you will be my ally in defeating this thing. They call it the devil witch, but obviously once again, like, that's the language provided to them by you know the person that came that was supposed to be their educator which was a preacher um Mm -hmm. as unfortunately many small like frontier areas were um Mm -hmm. i mean it doesn't seem like he does much educating apart from with his dick but you know (laughs) (laughs) truth i also found it very interesting that um Throughout the film, uh, Leah very rarely speaks. I mean, she, yeah. she speaks in tongues. She occasionally you know, makes noises. Um, mm-hmm. But towards the end of the film, as she's, you know, kind of settling more and more into her power and connecting even deeper with uh, this place where she has found herself, um, she becomes articulate. She starts mm-hmm. speaking clearly, uh, first to one of the little children and then uh, later to Marion. Mm-hmm. And I find it uh, an interesting parallel uh, that so many of us who who come to the craft uh, 
often feel that there's a part of ourselves that we can't connect with or express fully until we find that mode of expression. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, that's an interesting parallel that uh, indeed. And once again, we see within, within this film and with actual witchcraft. Yeah. It's, it's another thing that exists within queerness, within that language, gaining the language to describe mm -hmm. oneself um, and yes. that mm -hmm. ability, like whether it is wordlessly by being around people where you're like, oh, I understand this energy or getting a word like for me, like the word not like finding out about the existence of non-binary where I was just like oh, that isn't as pigeonholed as a lot of these other definitions and suddenly makes a whole lot of sense for ways that I feel. Time to do some meditating. With you. Yeah, learning and, the uh, word demisexual literally changed my life, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's a big deal, you know? It's, um, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, people make Sometimes people make a big stink over, you know, terms and so many things and this, that, and the other. But the ability to be able to name yourself, um, you know, we, we talk about the idea of names having power. You hear it in um, magic. You hear it even in, you know, Christianity. You hear it all over the place like the importance of a name and being able to name yourself and define yourself is something that is is deeply important for to be able to even if you're by doing that you're saying i am not this and that becomes your definition um you know it's it's one of those those um small things that we take for granted until we do not have it or it is taken from us um and I uh, was looking into some frog symbolism um, because when Leah suppresses the the entity that is in the valley, uh, she does so with the assistance of Marion and a golden frog comes out of the being's mouth. She seizes it and eats it or bites its head off. And a lot of times when you see frog symbolism, it's not only like a personal transformation, but spiritual. And so this is literally like her claiming that power. And, you know, so like I, it's very rudimentary Google, but like some of the things that I was seeing with, um, with uh, symbolism in like sometimes native cultures, you know, it could be wealth and abundance, but the portrayals of a tongue touching another creature can mean the sharing of knowledge and power. And with her, like that is so like, that makes sense whether or not that's an accurate, you know, information because, you know, generalizing to native spiritualism is generalizing a hundred plus tribes, um, <laughs> you know, and they do. And I will say in this one, they do specify that it's the Shawnee, um, which I appreciated that they weren't just sort of like the engines and it was only ever the engines, you know, I say that, um, making fun of so many things. And, and for, you know, 1983, that feels miraculous that they said Shawnee, but, yeah. um, you know, you can tell that Irie Krauss cares and, you know, especially with the, dis the clear discussions of colonialism, mm -hmm. um, that are going on in this film, 
it all makes sense uh trying to oh, find yeah. your your place in things uh-huh. um and and did... while the shawnee i noticed are presented as a threat to the group mm-hmm. they are not the source of the evil that's in the valley no and they're I not thought that that was a that was a really good take that i was not expecting i was you know i was all geared up for oh goody here comes racism um, right and there is some because it's the 80s and yeah yeah but it's um, the 80s and they are depicting the french and indian war and and exactly the, the brutalization that colonialism inflicted upon you know the tribes um, exactly but yeah. but yeah but, no but that the, is a good call the spirit in the valley is is very clearly depicted as a nature spirit not mm-hmm. as a representation of an indigenous person in any way right uh, and i was uh very pleasantly surprised by that i'm like oh kudos points for you sir very good um and i thought that it, it was like that it not necessarily a bold direction to go in mm-hmm. but it would have been very easy to go the other way and i was yeah. pleased to see that the, that the the director did not yeah he leaned away from that as much as possible mm-hmm. um even implying that the shawnee could become victims of this thing as well um exactly you know and the and fact that, that they, they knew because there were them. already faces in the trees when they mm-hmm. got there yep between mm-hmm. them and like the french settlers that were lost and that the mm-hmm. only like the only reason it used um like a depiction of what would look like a shawnee child is because he knew it knew that will Smythe would fall for that and mm-hmm. his his hubris over christianizing a quote-unquote well, savage um well. would be would blind him to every everything and would allow the creature to do what it needed um but that oh child God, was precious, yeah. though. <laughs> oh, um, so cute i i watched but, that scene though and was just i was already irritated by that guy and i was like oh god yeah. i hope something eats him <laughs> <laughs> and what what happens in the end is not quite as satisfying but it's still just like eh, okay yeah. good screw you <laughs> <laughs> fuck you guy so there fuck you man yeah <laughs> indeed but all in all um it, it was it was both uh it, it was something that endeared itself the the whole the film as a whole was something that endeared itself to me a lot more uh sort of on reflection uh yeah. watching it at the time um some of just the uh the the visuals and the the acting choices and uh like the the sound effects i'm like i feel like there's an mst3k track for this and i <laughs> desperately want to hear it oh god but yeah. also i want to hear that of, for everything I'm, I'm enjoying this as you know just early 80s folk horror which is you know western horror is always really interesting i think there is just not enough of it it's, yeah, there's only a handful. It's a seldom used genre that I really feel like it has so much potential and it's it's just a, a difficult balance to strike. Um Yeah. I think it's also I, a little difficult to get funding yeah. for um historical 
things these days. So I think that that can play a role in it, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we still get stuff like Bone Tomahawk or Tremors or um, the prairie horror, folk horror, The Wind, um, Mm, which was was a really interesting. Yeah, that one was really cool. Um, Brotherhood of the Wolf. Oh, oh, yes. I love that movie so much. Or Ravenous, one of my darlings. Oh, God, yes. Ravenous is amazing. Um, For for any of my listeners who, who love... Uh, period horror and don't mind uh, a cannibalism theme Ravenous (laughs) is both a wonderful wonderful movie and also just terrifying and it's a really good watch for a winter's night absolutely and if you are into cannibalism and I don't mean like you're (laughs) placing some ads I mean, if you're interested in some uh, potentially transgressive discussions on cannibalism and sexuality, I will be building a panel about that for Nightmare Weekend. So I will be uh, having a whole lot of research that I will be doing. So we are going to be digging into theories of objection, which I love, um, proposed by Julia Kristeva, and probably talking a little bit about the way that Freud talked about the push and pull of Eros and Thanatos. Um in the ways that uh, I'm interested in depictions of cannibalism on screen. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. This episode is brought to you in part by Portland Buttonworks. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one, but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment. Well, fret no more. Portland Buttonworks is just what you need. Portland Buttonworks creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their new Design-O-Matic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items or order in bulk for merchandise or big events. I've been getting buttons from Portland Buttonworks for years, and their quality is always top of the line. Ever wonder where the Hex Positive buttons came from? Well, now you know. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the newly rebranded Spiral House Shop, a thoughtfully curated catalog of pre-made buttons, zines, books, comics, tarot cards, and other curiosities, Spiral House focuses on intersectionality, the personal as political, witchcraft, magic, and occult topics. There's a good chance that they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Spiral House Shop at spiralhouseshop.com. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast and would like to help support the show, make sure you visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop. There you can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for specialty items you won't find anywhere else, like witch web kits, vials of my homemade banishing powder, and podcast merch. Use code HEXPOSITIVE to get a special surprise with your order. Visit brinagarin.wordpress.com shop and place your order today. And now, back to the show. But now uh, we're going to do a little bit of a jump and we're going to accelerate to good old 1996 to one of the films that if we left out, I think we would have to come back and re-record the whole episode 
the craft. Oh, there would be there would be a mob at my door with torches and pitchforks <laughs> if we didn't say something about the craft. Right. We have to at least acknowledge it's like a little hat tip at least, oh but my, we're going to of course talk about it. It's a drug more. for so many of us. Oh god, for a variety <laughs> of things. Um I so when I watched the craft for the first time, I was 14 and my dad um was chuckling at me because i was home watching the craft and the person i was dating at the time was in church (laughs) and um we are not still together (laughs) Mm. um i know that that will shock you but uh yeah i know and not only that like at some point we're going to do a full episode on the craft just because there is so much that you know just it we couldn't possibly cover it unless we were like, all right, we're pulling an all nighter. I'm editing for <laughs> six hours. We're doing this. But um, Andrew Fleming is the, our director who is an out gay man. And I think that that informs the um, relationships that we see and the way that he is able to, um, he is able to communicate both some very feminist ideas and also you know the that like push and pull of those mean girl and outcast groups in high school and the way that like you can feel when you find that group that accepts you and that you don't have to be the popular kids that are the talk of the town to be hot shit walking through the school because you got your gang um so uh for anyone that doesn't know the basic plot of the craft would you like to summarize the plot or do you want me to do it Oh, I'd be honored. Oh, please. Okay. Please. So, uh, it starts with your classic new girl in town. Uh, Sarah comes to L.A. And uh, she, you know, starts, her family is moving into a new home. At some point, she she has lost her mom. Her father has remarried. uh, And she is starting her her school career at this parochial school and it's it's a very fish out of water feeling of course as it might be um and while she's there she's hap- she happens to uh run across these other three girls uh who everyone says are witches and mm-hmm. they're they're very spooky and uh a little bit punk rock uh, but they're they're the three sort of weirdos of the school, and she eventually kind of almost by accident falls in with this group, and they decide to go hang out together. They end up at a witchy shop, and then mysterious things start to happen while they are together, and they decide, well, um... So we're witches, and it looks like you're one too, so let's mm-hmm. make a coven. And they yeah. do. And more or less, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> Which is so much fun, and something that so often happens when teenage girls get together anyway, whether or not witchcraft is involved. Oh, God, so yeah. there's that. Uh, At one point yes. I thought I was a teenage girl, so, you know, I'm familiar. <laughs> yes. Well, when teenagers in general get together, I mean, gender does oh not really play a factor, I suppose. You're yeah. right. Uh, Those hor- hormones, changes, oh trying God. to define who you are yes. in the hellscape of the early learning world. Mm-hmm. But the uh, the core foursome are Robin Tunney, Nev Campbell, 
Rachel True and the absolutely forever iconic Feruza Bulk mm-hmm. as, uh, as Nancy Downs. And of course, it gives us that wonderful classic line that we all love so much. We are the weirdos, mister, uh, which yes. I have on which I have on stickers and buttons and probably a shirt somewhere. It's, it's something that I used to say ironically, Mm -hmm. uh, but as I've gotten older, I'm just leaning into it and it's like, no, no, you know what? We are the weirdos. We are the queerdos. We are the queerdos. Named my first queer panel after it. (laughs) Yep. Hell yeah, we are. Queerdos, weirdos. We don't give a fuck. too short to not embrace and enjoy your weirdness. Right. Tried being someone else. That was hard and boring and yes. frankly not happy. Mm-hmm. I would I would rather be weird and othered than bland and boring. I would rather mm-hmm. be weird and othered than try to be someone I'm not for the sake of being accepted by people whose opinion I don't value. Yeah. I just don't have time to wear someone else's skin and pretend to smile in it. That is very poignant and a beautiful way of putting it (laughs) and very, very true. And that, yeah, that is exactly Mm -hmm. what it feels like. It feels like being in the wrong skin and then just kind of going, ah, yeah, (laughs) slowly (laughs) taking, taking that layer off and feeling born anew, which honestly kind of happens in this film when they, they all like, when things are good and they're all like feeling on like equal ground um you know everything everything seems like it's falling into place like there's there's sleepover nights where they're sharing secrets with each other where they're having tender moments where we are are seeing these small connections and they're they're watching you know movies together and um they're watching you know, bewitched i love it they're watching, yeah it's so cute um and you know you can see you can see the things that um divided them from the rest of the school kind of fall away like whether they're the new girl or they have scars or you know they're being treated like shit because they're one of the few black people in the school or because they're you know considered poor white trash um you know those things like they in their friendship they have um change that playing field for that themselves and in those moments that united front is amazing and you know you can see the way that they carry themselves differently and they don't, oh, they're yeah. not doing it for the gaze of anyone at the school like yeah of course sarah would like chris to like her at the very least so she can then crush his heart because he was a total fucking dick um you know and you know, and uh, Bonnie would like to be admired, which, you know, like she would like to be looked at and admired for the person she is, which is totally understandable and fair and something that like, you know, a lot of people want. And, you know, she hits that sexual acceleration real hard, like no shame girl, but don't touch people's butts without consent. I mean, yeah, she, she says at one point, uh, when, when Sarah, uh, you know, admonishes her and she's like, you're, you're kind of, you know, going real hard with this. She's like, well, excuse me. I spent the, you know, the better part of my life being a monster. So, you know, don't mind me if I, if I have mine now I've got time, I've got like, she's making up for lost time. 
And it's yeah. like valid, but also consent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and sometimes when, when you hit that stride at first, when you really suddenly go, oh my God, I'm finally hot. Or I finally, yeah. you know, f- sort of found a, a manner of self-expression that, that works for me. You mm-hmm. do go way too hard at first because you, oh, yeah. you don't, you don't have those boundaries yet. And you're just enjoying the, oh, suddenly I can. Yes. And you learn to rein yourself in later. So I'm like, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. Um, I did that, had that happen to me when I finally started uh, Lexapro and all of a sudden my brain started working. I was like, wait, people are just functional. <laughs> people just get up and do stuff every day without having to, huh? Yeah. I, hmm. me suddenly without a lifetime of anxiety, I was utterly monstrous. Um, and I did, and I was just so wrapped up and not feeling anxious that it was awkward for a minute. So I've tried to reel that back, um, potentially a little too much, but you know, we'll see. But you found um, your stride. Trying. You your stride is always good. Trying, it's trying. Um, and on the witchcraft side of things, I'm sure you found this in the notes, but I think it is worth mentioning that they brought in a woman named Pat Devon to be the Wiccan advisor on this film to handle the treatment of subject matter, um, you know, delicately and respectfully. And um, she also is the person that wrote all of the incantations that were used. Mm-hmm. Um, they so- used real ritual speak. Mm-hmm. They used actual rituals for uh for the the circle where they're they're bonding together out in the woods it is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter the circle with fear in your heart that's real ritual speak when Mm -hmm. they're calling the corners and nancy uh has her arms up and she's she's calling the storm down when each of them are calling the watchtowers and the elements and the directions that's real that's actual they actually performed a ritual for that scene and the lore of the film i don't know if this is uh an actual thing that happened uh or if it's just them you know kind of saying in retrospect well you know Mm -hmm. uh but someone several people have actually said uh including Feruza Balk uh you know we had the the lightning effects and everything but as we were doing that like the wind picked up and the ocean started going nuts and like it started coming up the beach very strongly and you know an actual storm kicked up while they were doing this ritual and it wasn't supposed to happen that night they had a clear night for it for shooting uh so everyone was just sort of very that's really cool i'm just gonna lean into that i'm like i don't care if that's not true i want it to be true and so in my heart it is um yep Yep, leaning but into that. Just, totally fine. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. I I love that they she actually has, She's had, had other paranormal experiences too. Oh, word. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um I love that they actually had a witch on site. Mm-hmm. For the yep. consultation. I mean, even if they hadn't used actual rituals, even if they had completely made shit up, at least they had someone there who actually right. knew what was supposed to go on and that just makes me so happy and that's why even though you know we we can point and laugh at some elements of the movie because it was the 90s but yeah there's, there's a some reason stuff that... that it has endured there is a reason that it's so special to so many of us and there's a mm-hmm. reason why uh for a lot of witches you know myself included uh it was something that we first looked at kind of very early in our journey and went i want to do that yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's it's 
you know, like it, it did what the Spice Girls did for lack of a better word. Like it's girl power witchcraft. So yes. and yes. with punk rock, you know. Um, I love it. You know, and uh, you know, you, you get those those discussions of, of of balance and you know whether or not things will come back. And I know that there's been like I've heard a bunch of people like criticize the fact that they they made up a deity, they made up Menon um, for the film. <laughs> but I I if I remember correctly, and I I will have to keep looking for the source. I don't remember if this was an interview or something else that I had heard, but they did that on purpose because they wanted it to be a deity that was not actually attached to anything. Like they didn't want to grant favoritism or misrepresentation to like something that existed. Um, And so, Mm -hmm. and so they made this deity and I, I have to wonder, like, there's, you know, there's some criticism of the use of the he, him pronouns for Menon, but I think, and this is me supposing, but when we take into account the, um, the fact that this is the 90s, so, you know, we're not necessarily in the age of gender, we're, we're, we're not in the age of expanding pronouns yet. Um, we, we take into account the fact that you know, we, we still, we have still have to position, you know, any sort of craft in um, juxtaposition to Christianity, which uses he, him pronouns for, you know, their major deity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we, we get those two things, you know, that time period and all that. And I think it makes sense why they would say he, him. And I, and sometimes there is some sort of play from what I know, because they, you know, when um, the woman who owns the shop talks about um, magic, it's very different. She speaks about nature and mm-hmm. that that other thing, and 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 like she, the way that she verbalizes things is very different. Um, and I found that really interesting. And you know, I think it's a little bit of a shame that we um, we get a bit of that good witch, bad witch. But I think that what we're actually seeing is like the corruption of power. And it does have, it happens to Sarah as well as Nancy. Like, you know, it's, they fall into, they all do. Like they, they had a beautiful thing together. And then when they went over the top and, you know, it, it kind of, spilled over in unfortunate ways to all of them where you know they started like I I don't ever think that Rochelle necessarily did anything like she didn't she didn't treat anybody differently like Mm -mm. Bonnie at a certain point got kind of shitty (laughs) Rochelle did nothing wrong also justice for Rachel True if you don't include her in your your craft reunion shows if she's available fuck you I know um that she deserves the world she's a wonderful person yeah i just had to say that real quick Mm because i know that she she was excluded for a long time which is such fucking bullshit because that was one of the points of the fucking movie yes um it's fine it's fine we're fine fine. i Um, know and and like witchcraft is is inherently like the voice of the disenfranchised yeah which is reflected with queerness and horror 
Exactly, which is, I was just about to say, which is reflected by all the girls and also by, you know, the whole concept of your podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really shitty that the person who is like the most disenfranchised out of all of them, you know, the, the one black girl in school, mm -hmm. you know, the actress is then excluded from like the award ceremonies, like her co-stars are up there getting an award and she's sitting in the seats. Like, yeah, that's... she's excluded from reunions. She's she's getting her roses now. Yes. Thankfully, but she should have gotten them a long time ago. Yeah, no, so, it shouldn't have been a road to get here. It should have been yeah. right off the bat. Exactly. Um, so we love you, Rachel. <laughs> that's right. You're awesome. Hell yeah! Three cheers for <laughs> Rachel True. Yes, but yeah, um, I can I can definitely see why they went with uh, with with a a male coded deity. I I don't mm -hmm. think at the time audiences were ready for the idea of an all powerful goddess. Um, in a yeah. positive sense. I don't think they were ready for that. I think they needed, like you said, they needed that Christian framework to work from to make the uh, the mechanics of that work for them. I have another supposition for you. Mm -hmm. um, this is a far more wild one, and I just want to pose the question. If mm -hmm. you or if any of our listeners want to weigh in, it's just something that, like, crossed my mind. So, like, the major theme of this film and like the like witchcraft both you know in actuality and as a metaphor in this film is for female empowerment and the mm -hmm. dynamic nature of the film's discussions um gets created by like the difference in class and race and appearance and things like that and i part of me i i just had that small tickle in the back of my brain if we are seeing because this is the 90s this is post slasher boom if we are also seeing the masculine deity as the major power source because it is the way that we are flipping that final girl trope of what it became where there is some sort of like i'm like that removal of the the phallic symbol of a lot of things where they are empowering and then utilizing um and so thus that taking of the male energy and utilizing it for their own means um you know in the in the effect that they become dangerous um and i think that this is a stretch i do think that i'm reaching i think that there's something there for discussion but i think that because my brain is just now um synthesizing it um i think that there's a lot i think that there's a lot that could be discussed in relevance to um the positioning of this film in time the discussion of female empowerment with a male magical figure or you know male coded thing mm -hmm. and um you know with the nature of magic and gender and all that i think that there's a lot to unpack there so that, oh yeah yeah, like I said, full length episode. But if anybody, if that rings any bells for any anybody, um, especially if you've read, I want to say, I want to say that it's like the that final girl discussion is brought up in the book Men, Women, and Chainsaws. Um, so if you've read that or anything along those lines, where they are, we are discussing like the final role in terms of like gender and all that and digging deep. Please, please 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 weigh in because i'm super interested um i'm sorry that was a big tangent but i uh oh that's fine i was i was actually thinking of uh of uh 
something slightly different. Um, it, it occurred to me uh, as we were discussing, you know, the the, the role of, of Manon in uh, mm-hmm. in relation to uh, our, our little coven, uh, <laughs> is that none of the girls in the movie are shown to have a positive uh, paternal figure. I believe there's a, a brief uh, a brief. I mean- scene that was kind of left on the cutting room floor with uh with with uh with bonnie that you know yes she has a good relationship with her dad but he does he's not supportive um sarah uh, i think has a good relationship with her dad i think it's just strained because of like the death of her mother it's strained um and of course you know nancy has just her her mom's jerk boyfriend um and i i i think it's also just the nineties of it all, of course, that mm-hmm. any young woman with, without, uh, a, 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 a male role model must be in want of a father figure assumption. So mm-hmm. I think that may have played somewhat into it. It's an easy trope mm-hmm. to do. Uh, don't right. know if it was so much deliberate, but it's like the reading could be there. Um, yeah. especially since, you know, one of the first things that Nancy says, uh, you know, after the big ceremony is I'm your daughter now. Mm-hmm. So that's right. There, there's that. But again, you know, something for, for the, the long form discussion, but I, I think the, uh, the, the biggest, the, the biggest uh, sort of boogeyman in, in the whole film isn't necessarily uh, magic itself. And it's certainly not Manon who is kind of no. seen kind of, kind of portrayed as neutral almost. Yeah. Uh, in the way that that nature is is neutral, mm-hmm. um, it is neither good or bad. It just is. I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, that 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 tracks. Um, the and it's not. It's also not like uh, interpersonal jealousy uh, or or you know the the, the mean girl factor. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the real villain of the movie is just power without discernment. Yes, um, it is. It is the tendency to uh sort of overreach yourself and it it's something we do have to teach newer witches in the real world too that you know mm-hmm. yes once you once you discover this and you have the confidence and you you feel you know actualized and you feel empowered it's wonderful it can be intoxicating and it's really really tempting to go and do a whole lot of dumb shit that you may regret later not so yep. much in a in a threefold law kind of way, but just in the way that all actions have consequences and everything has a price. Um, yeah. And so you know you you have to kind of govern yourself and learn that discernment and 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 take a step back before you do things. Uh, you know, in in a mundane sphere or a magical one, and go, is this a good idea? What are my motivations? Do I really want to do this? Is there another way of getting what I want that might cause a little less collateral damage? And, you know, Nancy and the girls are not doing any of that. They're not no, doing any of that internal also reflection. Teenagers. They're young. They're young. They're and teenagers they, that have power for the first time first in their time. lives. Mm-hmm. They finally have the ability to affect the world around them and they just go they just go nuts with it. I, as so many of us would, because you're young and you don't know. And I think the, the, the biggest reflection of that is, 
you know, very obviously in the the bit with the the stoplights where the lights are all red and Nancy just keeps turning them green. Mm-hmm. It's like you're getting all these warning signs. You need to stop. You need to slow down. And it's, nope, nope. I'm just going to keep blowing through it. And then they yep. almost get hit. And she goes, "Ooh, that was close." And it's like, yeah, she's like, "Well, I'm fine." But I'm fine. meanwhile, so all of these happened. other cars, yeah, are, you know. Mm-hmm. But something really bad could have happened and almost did, and you're not taking that as a sign to stop. Actually, yeah. this is a good segue to our last film, if you don't mind. Oh, perfect. I love it. So, um, sometimes it is important to listen to signs to stop. Sometimes mm-hmm. you should just leave something or someone be. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to 2016. Andre Overdahl's The Autopsy of Jane Doe. It's so good. And yes, I realize that the mere inclusion of that title in this category is a spoiler. Um, But I told you, check the fucking notes. Um, That's why we're doing it last. (laughs) um, It's also, you know, I don't necessarily believe in a time limit for giving spoiler warnings because if you haven't seen the film then i try not to spoil it for you unless you want to but that's where you know we're giving these warnings um so in this one do you mind if i take this uh description or are you particularly attached so a body is discovered at a crime scene where everyone in the house is dead Um, Everyone in the house is significantly damaged except for one body, the body of a young woman who is unidentified. So she is our Jane Doe. She is brought to the home of a father and son um, coroner team, which is in the basement of their house in rural Virginia. Their job is to find out who she is, how she died, and why the fuck she was there. Or at the very least, why she died, so that way they can move on with their night. And from step one, things go awry. We get a lot of setup and we get the reoccurring theme of the inside versus the outside and the fact that every body has a secret. So the this film is one... Um, Oh, I do want to give a trigger warning for this film. I don't do it much, oh, but yeah. um, a uh, trigger warning for animal death. Mm. Um, it, yeah. Just because I know that a lot of people are very sensitive to this. I'm look. I'm one of those people that a lot of times I will do the does the dog die because oh, I don't yeah. like seeing babies get hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's it's not particularly like graphic, but no. it is it is upsetting. It is heart-wrenching for a number of reasons. Um, And in this setting, um, what has occurred, like, it is the severing of the final tie between um, Brian Cox's uh, Tommy and his late wife. The the cat is the last thing that he had of hers, really, that was attached to her. And it is also a signal to us as the audience of the stakes of where we are at, because Uh um, most people, um, most filmmakers, unless you're going for a certain kind of transgressiveness or, you know, you're, you're shooting a film called the child eater or the cat eater, in which case you're like, Oh yeah, somebody ate some fucking cats and kids. Um, That's what it says on the tin. 
you know, and even where you're alluding to that thing. But if we are, you know, with a title like The Autopsy of Jane Doe, you know, we're set up like we're going in for, you know, a procedural thriller. Um, You know, it it could be any one of those things where, you know, I I 100% was like, okay, um, I'm going to clock this as something supernatural is going to happen. She's going to get up and blah, 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 blah. And especially when we get these, like the whole thing with how they put bells on the toes. So that way they could tell if people were really dead and you weren't prematurely burying someone who was just in a coma, um, leading back so to our much. Victorian fears of premature burial, where we would have bells peeking up out of graveyards and or windows and coffins and all sorts of other shit um so you know but you just you see that little bell and you're like she gonna move it's mm-hmm. gonna happen it's gonna yeah. happen but the wild and it thing never is, does exactly throughout the whole movie she does not move nope. even when you are like literally staring straight at her you are expecting mm-hmm. it and you're like oh all of this other stuff is gonna happen now surely nothing mm-hmm. Nope. Absolutely nothing. And predominantly it is she is played by an actress. She's the mm-hmm. the majority of the scenes with her are not a prop. It is an actress by the name of Olin Kelly who has mm-hmm. significant training in yoga and breathing techniques and so she can control her breath. And in that like we get the subtle changes in expression that a human would experience when she is shifted, when she is turned. There's nothing gratuitous about our gaze on her. Our gaze is purely like, dare I say, scholarly and inquisitive. Clinical. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, where, you know, I, I think that it's kind of amazing that we, we discussed three films so far with naked bodies in them none of which are sexualized in their nudity Uh um which in film let alone horror film is a feat (laughs) it Um, really is yeah and she is she literally is except for like you know uh, uh, a body bag and a sheet she is literally naked yep the entire film yep full they're doing an autopsy we we do see the full frontal yeah and yeah it's but the the uh the gaze of the camera like you said it it remains very scholarly it remains very just sort of yes this is a body not just oh it's a female body it's it's a body right it's a body we're here to do an autopsy this is this is not for this you know, isn't necromantic. This isn't a yeah. Jess Franco film. We're not in some of the no. cheaper hammer horrors. We're not no. going to jiggle the cadaver boobs. Nope. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. And, you know, and also like the, uh, the, the, the coroners, the, the two guys who, uh, mm-hmm. Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, their, their characters throughout, they make zero jokes about no. her. They're very uh, her physicality. They're they are a hundred percent professional the entire time. Like even when things start sort of breaking down, uh, yeah. they are still very professional in their approach to her, uh, which I appreciated immensely. Like yes. the first time I saw it, this was <laughs> the third time I watched it when I when mm-hmm. I rewatched it just to get a refresher. Um, 
the first time I watched it, I was ready for the, the male gazy camera. I was ready for, mm -hmm. you know, uh, a ribald joke or two, uh, especially from the, uh, the, the younger actor, uh, the younger guy. Um, but no, nothing. I mean, yeah. we, we get sort of a, what might've been a pervy joke uh, from an ambulance driver at the end, but even mm -hmm. that is a little bit ambiguous. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I loved the way it was handled. Um, you know, you know, not just, you know, that, you know, this is, this is a body and it is just that, but also this was a person. Yeah. It's they a never person. call her it. She's always she. She yes. always has pronouns. Yep. Yep. She is. Mm -hmm. she has autonomy she um, has agency and yes exactly um a whole lot of it as it turns out yeah <laughs> well, no kidding um yeah, I, I warned him um but you him. know i felt <laughs> i felt a little sa safe going in knowing that um because i knew that andre overdahl was the director mm -hmm. and i was familiar with him before this because prior to watching this um i came to this film a little late and i had seen his film that he did before this which was troll hunter um which was a whole lot of fun oh, and then he and he did um and then he did scary stories to tell in the dark yes. um after that and i think he also just recently did the last voyage of the demeter which i haven't seen but he's definitely tying himself to the supernatural in in all of his films Good. so far i really like him um i'm really excited to see the last voyage of the demeter because of all the dimensions of him that i've seen um oh, i'm so ready for it i'm so ready for that movie he's he's definitely not a one-trick director and i realize that i haven't dwelt on, too much on the directors overall but you know it does bear mention because he wanted to prove that he wasn't just going to be doing found footage horror. And mm -hmm. so that's what brought him to the autopsy of Jane Doe. And I also bring this up because of the, of when Olwen Kelly was selected for the Jane Doe role, they talk about her presence as being calming, as being disarming, as everyone was comfortable together while she was on set, which is such a big deal for a being that is going to be naked the whole time and you know that she was going to be experiencing that and that mm -hmm. everyone like was comfortable on set that being juxtaposed with the immediate discomfort we see with her we feel with her serene features and mm -hmm. that like the the serenity of the that corpse face belies an underneath of suffering and oh, yeah. the more they they uncover and they look into or the more damage and detriment and frankly fucked up weirdness that like you know it, it, to extreme the nth degree um to where um she was not a witch when she died mm -hmm. but in bringing it back to one of our first discussions in her anger they created something mm -hmm. um something that will not die will not leave mm -hmm. and i honestly don't know if it i don't know what the resolution is for her whether like because in my brain i'm just like mm -mm, leave her alone mm -mm. just leave her be just leave her be stop touching her Mm -hmm. fucking leave her alone 
She don't want to be touched. But yeah. it appears that they were trying to bury her in that other location and something went wrong. So I'm curious what would have happened if Brian Cox hadn't requested the easy way out from his promise to her. And I'm saying that cryptically because I I do like I do kind of want to leave some like yeah. I mean, yeah. I I have I have a pretty uh I I have a pretty decent theory which I'm I'm going to keep to myself because you you do want to see the end. You don't want the end spoiled. Um Right. Uh I love that we were like spoilers and then we we're like no. No. <laughs> some spoilers, not all. Right. Um but yes, judging by the way things were going at the time and what happens in the very last instant of the movie, I have a pretty good idea of what would have happened. Mm-hmm. And like, I know this, it, we, we live in the world of, of like sequels and franchises. This is not a movie that needs a sequel. No, leave it alone. Leave, leave it, it the be. fuck alone. It's perfect the way it is, but you can see from the end of it that like, oh, this is going to keep happening. We don't mm-hmm. need to see it keep happening. Right. But we know that it's going to. And it, like we said at the beginning, it's a bit like The Grudge. It's a bit like The Ring. You know, there's some shit that just do not poke that bear. Right. Um, you are walking into something you do not understand. You are walking into something that you cannot fight or combat or subdue. Leave it the fuck alone. Stay away from yep. it. That is your only hope. Yep. Because once you come in contact with it, you are doomed and there is nothing you can do. Basically. Even if you've done everything right, even if you came in with the best of intentions, even if you try to be like, you know, let me help, let me try and fix this, you can't. You cannot. You can't. Leave it alone. Just leave it there, alone. And, you know, relating it back to the spirits again, like, you know, uh, so there are some spirits that, like, there is a specific want for them, but she's not a spirit per se she's she's still a woman locked in her body essentially which is which is its own kind of horror right um being locked in your body and constantly suffering and not being able to do anything about it except lash out in in the only way that you can which in her case is supernatural right do you find it at all interesting so um they brought this woman who was undoubtedly innocent and tortured her. Um, You know, I'll go ahead and say that, you know, she is supposedly from the Salem area during the witch trials. That's the indication, yeah. Yeah, that is the the indication. But with the things that they find, this is a far more extreme extreme circumstance of what was inflicted on her than, um, honestly, even Haxan showed. um, To the point of this being um, torturous Christian ritualism is the only way that I can think to put it, which at that point, wouldn't that be in itself a form of magic cast against this person? Oh, absolutely. Like absolutely making they... witches of everyone involved in different manner. Yeah. Uh-huh. And making, you know, a monster of her they suspected her of you know this this uh you know going back to to hexen um this 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 devil worship and this use of 
of of poisons and dancing in fire. So they they inflict all of mm-hmm. this on her. And in doing that to an innocent person, they created, and they state this very clearly in the movie, they possibly created the very thing they were trying to destroy. Yeah. Um, I'm actually reminded of uh, the story of Mary Webster, who was mm-hmm. accused of witchcraft in the 1680s. Uh, Margaret Atwood actually wrote um, a uh I believe it was Margaret Atwood who, who wrote the poem Half Hanged Mary, um, mm. uh, it, which is really, really wild. And uh, what what happened with Mary Webster was she was this older woman. It is Margaret Atwood. Um, okay. Uh, she was this older woman who was accused of witchcraft. And uh, one night, just the mob came for her and they dragged her from her home and into the nearby woods in the middle of winter and hung her from a tree. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, yeah. But they didn't do a very good job of it because <sighs> what happened was the, uh, the rope broke or untied somehow, but she, uh, she fell and was still alive and managed to, uh, sort of limp her way back into town and there's a poignant line in a a poem uh about her and her experience uh which I, i i don't remember exactly but the gist of it was i was not a witch before they hanged me but i am one now indeed watching the autopsy of jane doe uh, I was kind of like, I, I feel this, I feel, uh, a little bit of Mary Webster in this and this idea of when you try so hard to repel something and push something away, when you try very, very hard to suppress something and deny the existence of something that is outside of your comfort zone or outside of your uh, experience or outside of your beliefs in a way you give strength to it Mm -hmm. and you will end up creating monsters just not the ones that you are expecting um they will come from different places they will wear different faces and to you they may be much more terrible than what you imagined, but they're just people. Yeah. They're people living their lives, being themselves. And while that may seem monstrous to others, it's like, no, we're just here. Yeah, no, that's very, extremely well said. And I think perfectly said for this episode, as we are talking about witches and the witch being the icon of feminine rage you know the of 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 depict of righteous more often than not feminine rage um and you know the unbridled power that comes with embracing that so often um and you know there um there there's a variety of things that we've seen depicted some gentler some more uh violent some more active some more innate um, some more ritualistic. We've talked about a wide variety of of practices and depictions, and there's so much more out there. 
Um, and you know, it's, I'm, I'm going to say something fucking cheesy. So, uh, forgive me, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a lot of the, you know, the, like, we're the daughters of the witches you couldn't burn, but you know, I don't always like that because that implies that the people burnt were witches and not innocents. Um, and what you should be fearing are the daughters of the people you did burn because that rage yes and more than that the people who did the burning Mm -hmm. indeed they're still here and they're still a problem (laughs) indeed that monsters take all guises Mm -hmm. so yes sometimes we're the monsters and sometimes the monster isn't the one to fear and sometimes you need a monster on your side. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And sometimes you need midnight margaritas. <laughs> oh my god. I could so go for a midnight margarita. Oh my god. We're getting there. Shit, we only have an hour left at the time of recording. And then it's midnight <laughs> margarita time. Uh, should, just enough time for We should do that when we, when we watch The Conjurings. We should do margaritas. <gasps> oh, I'm so in. Oh, I'm so in. <clears throat> okay. Done. Oh, man. It's slated. We're doing it. It's a date. Yep. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to meet your cats. It's going to be perfect. Um, But yeah, so we're going to wrap this up and we're just going to make quick mention of one of our favorite comfort food witch movies because we were both like, yeah, okay, we're going to talk about this. Um, And it actually sits at like this great nexus point of like some horror, some romance, some comedy, some drama, um, and a whole lot of fucking 90s babes, um, Mm -hmm. which is, of course, Practical Magic. (laughs) so much it's my favorite movie it's my favorite non-horror movie i should should specify yeah no that's even if it was your favorite overall movie i you know you're allowed to have (laughs) fucking favorites i don't fault people for that like i think the only thing that i would give people side eye for is if someone was like a serbian film is my favorite movie i'd be like what Uh, uh, um okay mm. well you're Mm. a red flag but i have questions (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but no, Practical Magic is wonderful. It had been missing from my life for a long time. My current partner showed it to me. He was like, I can't believe you haven't watched it. Stress down, we're renting it. And I was like, okay, fine. Okay, fine. That is a good partner. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. we watched um, Practical Magic and The Witches of Eastwick. Um, mm-hmm. And a very solid double feature. And, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that... Um, uh, speaking of the era of girl power witchcraft um both of these both of those films are are highly up there um has has practical magic been something that you've you've seen like has been in your life for a long time like uh yes it came out in Um, 98 so yeah 98 was kind of my jam um (laughs) in so many ways i i i was that was the year that I was 16. So that's my transformative year, you know, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so many things that came out that year just are things that have had a lasting presence and a lasting impression in my life. Um, and uh, Practical Magic is a big, like, probably the number one uh, entry on that list. Um not least uh, because it is the reason that I'm married. Really? Story time. Okay. So, uh, some time ago, mm-hmm. 
a little more than 10 years at this point. (laughs) Um, I had just gotten out of a relationship. It ended amicably. Uh, he, He was a lovely guy. And I will never say a word against him because he was very sweet and helped me in a lot of ways. But mm-hmm. it just wasn't working out. So it was like, yeah, yeah. we're going to try. I wish you best. Well, moving on. And I kind of sat down and had a a talk with myself. And we're like, okay, this this whole internet dating thing is is working, but not well enough. What's the point of being a witch if you can't use witchcraft to get what you want? So... <laughs> I sat down and put together and cast the only love spell I have ever performed in my entire life. Oh, okay. It was it was a whole deal. I made it from scratch. I made a candle from scratch uh, and did a ritual over the course of a week. You know, okay. I I went whole hog. Um, yeah, and no kidding. Part of it, part of it was that I used Amas Veritas. From practical magic, I sat down and I got a bunch of flower petals and picked and picked and picked and wrote down for everything, every petal I picked, I wrote down a trait that I wanted in my ideal partner. And I got specific. So Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, if I'm getting everything I want, I may as well get everything I want. Yeah. I filled a page. I believe it. That's no shame. Right. So, I mean... Yeah, it's like, and I'm not, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think of anyone specific because I don't want to, like, draw a particular person. I'm like, okay, these are the traits that I want. Universe, bring me this person or someone as close to it as you possibly can. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, Cut to (laughs) about, I want to say two or three months later, this was, this was November, I want to say October, November. And then in January, the following year, I'm at a party with a bunch of friends from the LARP that I've been attending for about two decades now. Um, I love you, Zanadria. You're a wonderful place. Uh, (laughs) I changed my life. Great group of folks. Anyway, so I'm I'm at a party with this, this crew and I'm doing tarot for tips and, uh, a guy who had been uh, a longtime pal of mine and my battle buddy uh, for for many years came up and tipped me for a reading. And I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. cool, cool, cool. We, we run through just a little three-card draw, very simple. And uh, one of the things that came up for him, I was like, oh, there's, uh, there's a, a lady in your life that you are considering getting closer to. Uh, but you're a little worried that, uh, <laughs> you know, you might ruin the the pre-existing relationship that you already have. I can't see if it's personal or professional, but you you have a rapport with this person and you don't want to mess that up. He's uh, like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, that that tracks. Um, what should I what do you think I should do? And I said, well, <laughs> the cards aren't telling me anything on what you should do, but I'll tell you what you should do just as a woman. Uh, (laughs) Don't put her on a pedestal, you know, make a move and see what happens. And if not, you know, at least you still have a really good friend. Yeah. We were living in separate States at the time. He was living, you know, here in Virginia and Mm -hmm. I was still living in, uh, in Pennsylvania at the time. 
I was certain it was about somebody from back home. Cut to <laughs> jump, smash cut uh, to later that evening as we're all dancing and he makes a move. And Ooh. I find myself reciprocating and suddenly going, wait, what? And then I ran away. And thankfully he followed me. <laughs> That's really cute. It was, I it love was that. so, it was stupid cute. And we just, we ended up talking all night and it was amazing. And I was like, where did this come from? I like, I had, he's not a bad looking guy. If, if anyone's ever seen pictures <laughs> of my husband, he's, uh, he, he's have you seen pictures of you? Of my goodness. You, I, that just means he has good taste. Exactly. But the, the man looks like a cross between like Travis Fimmel as Ragnar and Charlie Hunnam. And I have no beef with any of it. Uh, he's gorgeous. Um, and he's also just a wonderful person and a really sweet man and a wonderful partner. Oh. Uh, so, but like he had just been like my friend and my battle bro for so long. And I, I didn't really know much about him apart from that, apart from that he came from like a family of reenactors. So mm -hmm. he was like uniquely suited for this. <laughs> and we started long distance dating. And a year later I moved to Virginia and a few years after that, he made it worth my while. And it was <laughs> the, the fun part of it was early in our relationship uh, in the interest of full disclosure and of not subverting someone's free will. Uh, I was like, all right, I really like this guy. I probably should tell him about the spell. Mm, this is going to go one of two ways. So I brought my, my book and I brought my list and I was like, listen, I just want to be honest with you. Um, I think there's magic involved here. He already knew I was a witch, um, yeah, and he was cool with it because his his mother, rest her, was uh, was sort of like earth based pagan, and we had oh, a great relationship. I love cool. you, Kim. I miss you. Um, she was wonderful. So he was he was raised in that mindset. He was familiar with it. He had no no issue with it whatsoever. Um, he was he was raised uh, Unitarian, and they like to joke that the only way you can be a heretic in the in the Unitarian Church is if you don't like potlucks. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. Yeah, good. Yeah. So I I showed him. I literally showed him the page, mm. and it was like so. Um, I was thinking about it and kind of reading this list, and uh, tell me this doesn't sound an awful lot like you. <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of ran down the list and it was like um every part of this is you every mm -hmm. part of it was him every single detail the only thing that was different was uh the age he's a little bit younger than me mm -hmm. but i thought he was older than he is and he thought that i was younger than i am <laughs> It's not a weird age gap. We're we're seven years apart, but we we met well into our majority, so we're 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 good. It's not creepy. No, you're both fucking we, adults. We were both this isn't fully like, adults. Yeah, no, this yeah. isn't. It was weird. Not weird. Um, high school age gap no. things. No, no, there there is no cougaring here. 
so for the purposes of the spell, we both thought we were almost the same age between the two of us. So it, it, it still worked. Um, and that's when he drops the bombshell that he's like, actually, I've had a crush on you for a really long time. And I just never wanted to say anything because I really liked being friends with you. And I really liked the vibe that we had and the relationship we had. And I didn't want to screw that up. Aww. I was like, does that That's door cuter lock? than the, <laughs> that's the cuter than the practical magic story. Shit. It's really think. cute. It's really cute. And I still have the page in my, in my spell book. And, um, I have, uh, an Ivy leaf on the page, uh, pressed for preservation from, uh, the Garden of St. Bridget in Kildare in Ireland, which is where he proposed. Oh, So it was like, it came true. How dare you make me make cute sounds on a recorded forum? <laughs> How dare I do a meet cute on a horror podcast? No, I love it. It's wonderful. Yeah. It's wonderful. I'm, but yes, I'm practical really magic excited is, is the for reason this. I'm married. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. I love that. I love that, that, that extra tie in. Um, you know, I was going to say we should discuss the film, but given that we've been talking for a long time and that was such a sweet story, I think that that's a really great place to wrap up, if that's okay with you. That's cool with me. We can always okay. come back and discuss it later. I am totally here oh, for it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, this is definitely not the last time. This is just our recommendation for, you know, the end of your witch night, a little something sweet to go with your spicy, you know. Oh, yes. Um, we will have many more episodes, both, uh, with varied titles and focus titles, um, you know, done on either one of our platforms. I'm not sure if we'll do our crossovers the way that we've done this one, which is, you know, to largely share a recording, but you'll have to check out both if you want to see if there's any differences in our editing. Um, <laughs> um, but uh yeah no this has been utterly wonderful and could you remind all of our lovely humans and non-human listeners where <laughs> they can find you if you wish to be found well my darling cryptids if you would <laughs> like to find me uh you can check out all of my announcements my updates and the schedule of markets at which i will be appearing uh, over at Brie Nick Garen, N I C G A R R A N, at uh, dot rather wordpress.com. <laughs> and uh, that is also where you can find the Willow Wings Witch Shop, which is my, my teeny little online shop where I sell my books and uh, various homemade magical powders and accoutrements for your, uh, for your magic, as well as podcast merch. Uh, you can Green. also find me. Yay! You can also find me as at Breen Garen over on Instagram. I post infrequently, but there's a lot of cats. Mm. Um, and you can also find me. Oh, yes. Good babies. You can also find me as Bree Landwalker on Tumblr, which is my uh, my first and still my strongest platform. Uh, shout out to all of my Tumblr babes. I would not be the witch I am today without you. And I'm very grateful for all of you. Oh, Thank and you there's so also, much. uh, there's also, uh, there's also hex positive. I forgot. 
Duh. <laughs> uh, I also have uh, a podcast called Hex Positive, where I discuss uh, modern, secular witchcraft tips, uh, ideas and suggestions for building your practice without burning your house down. And also, uh, oh yeah, and turn an eye to uh, history, both in the sense of here are some things that happened, and here's a whole lot of bullshit that we believe that never happened. And it's a lot of fun. And it is a proud member Love of it. the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, which you can check out at nerdandtie.com. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. I will definitely be posting all of that in my show notes and in my posts. Um, so that way you can be found and loved as you so deserve. Um, and of course, I am Murphy Lawless. Um, this has been uh, Queerdo Babes from the Horror Potterama. And if you want to follow us, check out other stuff, keep up with me on other things. Um, anything for this podcast related, you can email me at wearethequeerdos at gmail.com. You know, send me your questions, feedback, etc. cetera. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at queerdobabespotorama. Um, I do have a personal Instagram as well. That's more like the burlesque and cats and butts and depression stuff. Um, so if you want more horror focused things and podcast focused things, stick with the queerdo babes. Um, but otherwise I'm at Murphy underscore lawless on Instagram personally. Um, and you know, being a silly ass wherever they'll let me. So <laughs> hopefully I will see some of you at nightmare weekend, Richmond, um and you know at some of the panels i'll be doing to my knowledge i will at the very least be doing something on cannibalism which i mentioned before cannibalism and sexuality um, at the moment i'm calling it to the tooth and then one that is the opposite side of that which is more horror than horror which is the importance of g through pg-13 rated horror and its place in our recognizing and loving of the genre as well as getting other people and younger beings into it so uh, i'm very excited for all of those um there's other some other potential surprises along the way but so far that's what i got um so um so thank you for joining us on queerdo babes from the horror potterama bye well that was a super fun and spooky time Many thanks to Murphy for joining me for this month's crossover and for vibing with me for two straight hours like an absolute boss. You are a gift, darling. Make sure you check out Queerdo Babes from the Horror Podorama and follow Murphy on their socials. And you can be sure we'll be doing this again sometime. Possibly here on the podcast, possibly over on Patreon. Stay tuned to find out. And speaking of which, if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash where you can sponsor this show and all my ongoing projects for as little as a dollar a month. This, along with book royalties, shop sales, and witch market revenue, are a big part of my income. I am literally a professional witch at this point. So all of the support I receive from listeners and readers and customers is greatly appreciated. You guys are the best. Here's to another year of keeping the lights on. So, 
that about wraps things up for this month. As always, Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network, where you can find shows ranging from live play to history to witchcraft, including our fabulous sibling show, BS Free Witchcraft. Make sure you check them out, show them some love. Please remember to rate and review the show on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and check out the interactive questions and polls on Spotify. Stop by my table at any of the witch markets I'm vending at this month. Visit the Willow Wings Witch Shop for books and witchy goodies. Follow my WordPress for updates and announcements. And check out the Hex Positive Red Bubble Shop for podcast merch. Until next time, I'm Brenda Garen, reminding you to stay safe, keep wearing your mask, and stay spooky, my witches. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. Visit brindagarin.wordpress.com for show notes, announcements, and upcoming events. You can also follow me at brindagarin on Instagram and brilandwalker on Tumblr. My books are available on Amazon and in the Willow Wings Witch Shop. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.